Hey, church, welcome to an online worship service. We are in the full blossom of spring. I hope you can feel the way that spring kind of pushes you forward into the rest of the year. I certainly feel it. We just had Easter Sunday a couple weeks ago. We're starting a brand new series in the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to learn a new song in just a minute here as a church. Um, I just want to encourage you to stay in that mode of the post-resurrection reality. Uh, Don't let it fade away into your mind of just like, oh yeah, Jesus is alive, ho-hum. Jesus is alive, and there are new things blossoming up from the ground. There is new hope. There is new direction. And I just hope we can carry that momentum throughout this entire year as we kind of piece our regular life, church life, and otherwise back together. Hey, let's sing. Let's sing about this. This is Glorious Day. Here we go. I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb Till I met you I was breathing but not
Let's learn this. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to Him belong. Who holds our days within His hand? What comes apart from His command? And what will keep us till the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. Oh, sing. service at ABF and my name is Adrian Kegel and I get to do your announcements today. Well, we love to stay in contact with you and one of the ways we do that is through our texting app and uh, if you wouldn't mind texting us 97,000, any of your prayer requests, any ways that we can be supporting you, we would love for you to do that. Now, typically when we are together in person, we like to stand up, give one another a hug, but we can't do that. So what I'd love for you to do is text one of your ABF family friends. This would be a, just a good way to connect. So maybe someone you haven't reached out to for a while. Go ahead, take this moment now, text a friend, say hello, share a prayer, blessing over them. We'd love for you to stay connected in that way too. Well, I've got a couple more announcements for you. A lot of fun things coming up. 
For all you men out there, we've got um, a men's game night. That's coming up on Friday, April 23rd. And you men are going to get together. There's going to be board games, card games, all that fun stuff. Great way to connect. We've got a newcomer's lunch, and that's going to be on Sunday, April 25th, in the well after the second service. So if you are newer at ABF, if you've been around the last couple months or you've been viewing us online, we'd love to invite you to our campus on the 25th. And this is just a great way to connect with the pastors and directors at our church and kind of hear about what our church is really all about. So we'd love for you to come. Lunch is on us. There's childcare. Give Stephanie an email and let her know that you're coming. Well, one thing that I'm very passionate about is our ladies' garden tea. That's coming up on Saturday, May 1st. And we have been registering lots of ladies to attend that. Love for you to get your registration in now. Um, that is online. We've got lots of fun things happening. Lisa Balesi is going to be our speaker that day, so you're not going to want to miss out. Go ahead and register online. Um, we've got a new Equip You class coming up, and it's called Rooted. Bill Berry is going to be teaching that class during the first service starting on May 2nd. So we'd love to invite you to that class. It's going to be covering some of the common misconceptions about faith. So we'd love for all of us to get rooted a little deeper in our faith. So we'd uh, welcome you to join us there. Well, some of our other upcoming things coming up in the summer and beyond is, first thing is our Camp ABF. That is one of our highlight events of the year for all of our kiddos. So make sure you're getting your kids registered. That is June 21st through 25th. I'm going to say, man, we are selling out with kids from around the Caneo Valley. I don't even know all the names of these kids. So if you're in the ABF family and you haven't registered your kids Get on that. Make sure you get a spot. We've got a golf tournament coming up. It is July 12th. So go ahead, find out more information about those events on our website. Well, as always, we so appreciate your generosity in giving your financial gifts and your ties. Easy ways to give are online, or you can mail in a check or drop it off. So thank you for that. Well, before we go any further into our service, I want to just take a moment and just pray over our time together. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness in our lives, for your care, uh, for providing good health over our church family. We just are so grateful for what you are doing in the midst of all things around us. Lord, right now, we want to commit this time to you. Lord, I pray that you would slow us down, we could take in what you want to teach us, how you want to lead us, how you want to refine us. So Lord, open our ears, open our mind to what your Holy Spirit wants to direct through this teaching. We pray a blessing over our church family. We thank you. We thank you and we love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks, Adrian, and thank you, worship team, for leading us. And uh, so good to be back together at uh, uh, especially good to have a few guests up here. Thankful for Rich and Holly joining us. If you haven't met Rich and Holly, Rich is one of our elder, newest elders here at the church, and it just happens to be this week. Yesterday was his 60th birthday, and so if I could happen to look at that good at age 60, I'd be very happy. Actually, if I could just ever look that good, I'd be happy, but either way, great to have these guys here, and uh, great to be back. I'm thankful for uh, John covering uh, last week while uh, Adrian and I and the family had some nice uh, necessary uh, relaxation. Basically, we uh, took some time to travel. There's so many crazy uh, COVID travel deals to be had. And so we combined that with our Biden bucks. And so we went to, oh, oh, how do you say that? Oahu, my goodness, Oahu last week uh, for the week. And we joined up, met up with a, a few friends of ours from Chicago, and it was a blast. There's a, a total of 12 of us. So uh, with that, you're, you're talking about, is that eight kids? So a lot, of, a lot of chaos. I was reminded, though, while we were there, just of the, the beauty of God's creation and uh, so fun. I absolutely, one of my favorite things to do in life is snorkeling. And uh, we had a blast doing that. Now, I'm used to just my kids that have done a lot of snorkeling with us over the years. And so it's interesting because with their family coming from Chicago, there's some kids with them that, they, that some of their kids had never snorkeled before. And I remember a few times, and Adrian can attest 
to this when we're out there in the deep and the current starts pulling a little bit and we're uh, by some uh, pretty jagged rocks that I, I felt like, man, I'm, I'm saving kids' lives. I was, I was grabbing kids by the arm, tugging them uh, back to shore. Uh, there's a, a few moments uh, that got a little bit, uh, a little wonky out there, but we're thankful for God's protection. And I was thinking about it as we get back to the shore, there's kind of this balance because you're trying to, with the kids, you're trying to encourage them as best as you can because you don't want to break their little spirits, but you also want, at the same time, you also want to make sure they're completely aware of the currents and the tug towards the rocks. You know, you might say, now, how does that relate to what we're talking about? I would suggest that really when you think about the majority of the letters in the New Testament, they're all written to, to new churches, new churches that are just trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus with their lives, new relationships with Jesus Christ. And so there's that balance of encouragement, but also warnings about the current that's pulling you towards the rocks. You see, prior to knowing Jesus Christ, we kind of go wherever the day takes us, wherever the current of the culture wants to pull us. But after an encounter with him, we realize that we're called to something different. In fact, the, the, the word church actually means called out. So we're called out ones. One's intended to be separate, to be different, to go a different direction than the, the tide of the culture. So I'm excited to dive into this book. I believe it's really relevant for us, a lot of parallels to our church uh, and this early church as well. Let me just pray before we begin exploring this new study. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to gather around your word and the way that it speaks to us each week faithfully as we open it up. And God, we ask that today, that you'd be moving and working and encouraging people, but also warning people of, of the danger of uh, getting off track and heading the direction of the world. And so I ask that this would be one of those series that's pivotal in people's lives, that they come out different because of studying this. So we know that's only possible with your Holy Spirit working behind the scenes. So we invite that now, even in these moments. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So 1 Thessalonians, uh, we're finally uh, starting a new book study. And so we're starting, as you would guess, in chapter 1. And I uh, want to give, just before we start reading chapter 1, and they're a uh, little bit shorter chapters than what we're familiar with, which will be nice to not have to cover so much territory, but I wanted to give a little bit of background about our book before we uh, dive in. Basically, the audience, you would guess, is this group of people, the Thessalonians, and they're living in this city called Thessalonica. This city had been around for quite a while. It was actually founded in 315 BC, so 315 years before Christ, and it is named after the stepsister of Alexander the Great. I don't know why that's important, but either way, that's the uh, little background. Still, in that this day, you can still visit. Uh, the city here in Greece, it's actually the uh, second largest city still to this day. It's called Thessalonica. In that day and time, though, it was a capital city in that region, and it had about 200,000 people living there. It was known for being very prosperous because, for uh, the main reason, is because of its location. It was basically had a, a protected seaport, so shipping in and out, lots of trade happening there. In addition to the shipping in and out, it is also right next to the largest Roman highway that was known as Via Ignatia, which basically filled the gap between Europe and Asia. So somebody could travel all the way between the two, and they couldn't make that trip without passing Thessalonica. So a major city port known for wealth. They were also known for being very religious, or maybe you'd better, better said very spiritual. Where the city took, where the city lay, it was about 50 miles from a, a very well-known mountain called Mount Olympus, which if you're familiar with Greek mythology was where they believed Zeus lived and many of the other gods. And so many people made the trek coming to this city of Thessalonica in order to uh, be in striking distance, really from all over the world of Mount Olympus. So very spiritual. When Paul shows up, 
with Timothy and Silas, he's showing up here to a very pagan culture. Although they did have enough Jews living in the area that they had established their own synagogue. So we're told about this city for the first time in Acts chapter 17 on Paul's second missionary journey. Upon arrival there, Paul, because of being a uh, studying or a pretty impressive resume of studying under a rabbi by the name of Gamaliel, he was able, he was invited to speak in their synagogue three weeks straight. So basically he was a guest speaker three weeks in a row. And in that time, he took advantage of having the mic. He shared the gospel clearly inside and out, the importance of Jesus Christ, what his resurrection meant for them, how he was the Messiah, all of that. And in Acts 17, 4, we're told that some of the Jews were persuaded. But we also learned that it wasn't just the Jews listening in. They had gotten the ear or the attention of the Greeks. And it said that many Greeks believed. So it starts this little following of Jesus, Jesus, beginning of Jesus followers there in this broken city that was known for worshiping false gods. And it starts this little group of people. But here's what happened. We learn in Acts 17 is that the Jews that didn't believe, they build up kind of a, a group or a mob against Paul and actually tried to chase him down. They tried to find him, we're told. And they started looking in different converts' house. One of the guys' names was Jason. And they found Jason, but they didn't find Paul. Paul, though, gets word of this and decides upon instruction of the people from the city, decides to, in the middle of the night to sneak out of the town. Well, he sneaks out of the town, I found this interesting, to another town about 50 miles away called Berea. And he arrives in Berea, but this mob from Thessalonica was so upset about what he was doing in the city, the impact he had stirred up there, that he, they send the group 50 miles to chase after Paul. When he finds out that, Paul then catches a boat to Athens to get away even further, leaving, though, Timothy and Silas behind to kind of take care of and invest in this group of new believers. So our chapter, our book takes place. Our book is basically the first correspondence between Paul and this group of new believers that he had had to abandon or leave in the middle of the night. They believe it was written about six months, six to 12 months after being there, written back to them after getting a report from Timothy on how things are going. It's kind of an interesting letter that he's writing to them because really it's, it's a, 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 basically a groundwork that's being laid for, uh, for some, uh, some correction that they need. But it's neat to see the method in which Paul does it. He does similar to what a lot of times parents do is he chooses to first start with a degree of affirmation of things that are going well before he moves into any kind of correction. So our book is broken up into two parts. Basically, the first three chapters are written with some celebration of all that God was doing. And any wise leader understands how important that is to, to praise what they want to see repeated. So he's taking time to celebrate those things before he gets to areas of correction. But the encouraging thing is, is it wasn't something that he had to find and nitpick to, to make up something positive. There were tons of really good things happening in this new church being born. So he doesn't have to stray very far to find things to celebrate. So basically in our chapter here today, we're going to see him celebrate six ways that the city is, uh, the new church is swimming against the tide. Swimming against the tide, as I mentioned at the beginning, there's a lot of parallels because some of these things, as he celebrates them, I'm like, man, these things are true for our church that I celebrate as well. And so kind of cool to see some parallels here. We'll start in chapter one, verse one, with the, his initial greeting. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of, Thessal of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. 
So he starts by mentioning who's with him as he writes this, Sylvanus and Timothy, who are Paul's friends that he's writing the letter with. He starts, though, with a greeting that we're most likely, if you spent any time in the New Testament, familiar with. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Basically, it starts with grace before you ever get to peace. Do you remember when Jesus uh, first arrived and, and encountered the uh, disciples after his resurrection? What did he, we just talked about it a couple weeks ago, the very first thing he says when he sees them, peace to you. You see, Jesus introduced the possibility for peace. You see, without the grace of Jesus Christ, we can't, as he mentions here, approach God the Father. But it's through the Lord Jesus Christ that we're able to. You see, if you think about it, nobody you know in your life is really experiencing any level of peace apart from Jesus Christ and his grace. It may seem like it from the outside, but in the quiet moments of their day, when they're reflecting on eternity and what's to come, there's no peace apart from grace in Jesus Christ. Everybody wrestles through what's, what's going to happen next. Am I good enough? Have I met this perfect standard? Or, uh, am I going to be accountable? What, what's going to happen with all of my mistakes until they encounter Jesus Christ and realize that there is a God that we answer to, but he in his kindness came down on a rescue mission and died on a cruel Roman cross as the payment for our sins. Then all of a sudden we're capable of experiencing peace. So grace always precedes peace. So here's, that's his initial greeting to them. And you think about it for us as receivers of grace, and we're intended to be extenders of grace. So I, I love it that Paul's saying this to them, because if you can think of anybody that's been on the receiving end of grace, remember he was chasing down and hunting to kill and imprison Christians. He's somebody that can speak from experience. I would suggest before we even get any further in this text that that should be a description of us as Christ followers today. We shouldn't just bask in the grace. We should be extenders of it to others. Man, we should be the quickest to forgive, the quickest to release grudges. We would, should be so quick to release any kind of offense that others have had against us. You can't receive without extending it. I don't know if you heard the news this last week about a Texas woman who was surprised to find $37 million had been deposited in her account. Did you guys read this article this week? This lady, she opens up checking her, uh, her checking account. All of a sudden, she sees that a deposit had been made for $37 million. She was excited, and you can imagine her, her mind rushing through what she's going to spend this on. It ended up, unfortunately, based on the news article, a clerical error from the bank. So talk about a, a, a bummer having to give all of that back. But it's interesting, they were interviewing her and asking her, what was her intent? What was she going to do with it? After, if, if she did get to keep it, it's fun to hear her response. She says, well, the first thing I would do would be tithe. I was like, hey, that's something for that. I, I like that. I'd like that person in our church. But e either way, the intent, the idea is this. When you've received something, the intention of it is that you'd pass it on. It'd be weird to receive that kind of a free gift and not ever thinking about extending it to others. So one of the things to celebrate about this early church is the grace that they had and the peace they were experiencing. He continues, to talk about good stuff going on. He says, we give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfast hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So as he continues here, he's basically pointing out other things to celebrate. He says he gives thanks always and is constantly praying for them. Sometimes those words can be a little bit confusing in scripture because you're just like, does that mean he was just like constantly like on a loop? Like was he chanting the same prayers constantly 24-7? I don't think that. I think it was more of the way that he was expressing the thought that he's saying, man, you're just always on my mind. And every time I think of you, I, I'm praying for you. It's just a, a, a constantly an area of, of, that brings them joy and encouragement. 
Tell you this last week, Adrian and I had something that was new introduced to our lives that's a source of prayer that's constantly on our mind. My son Chase got his driver's license. So my son Chase got his driver's license and we joke about there's nothing that can improve your prayer life like a child getting their license and driving off for the first time. It's constantly on your mind. You're bringing it before the Lord. I was like, man, I think that was what they were experiencing with this church. He's like, man, this, these people I care about so much. They, they grasp the gospel message. They received grace. And now, man, I just wanna see them succeed and do well. Basically what he celebrates, it's kind of cool to think about, look in the text there, remembering God, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. Basically, faith, hope, and love is what he's celebrating. If you think about that, John Calvin says these virtues are the brief definition of a true Christian. Somebody that has faith, hope, and love. It's a beautiful picture of what every Christian should be moving and celebrated for, moving towards and celebrated for. Basically, he's saying that they had good works that stemmed from their faith. Good works, their actions were compelled by their faith. See, the motivation of our actions is actually important. What, what compels us to do the things we do, if we're constantly trying to achieve good works to appease a perfect God, man, that's not where it's at. But when it's in response to the grace that we've received, that's a healthy place for our actions and our works to lie. It says something interesting. Maybe you catch it there. It describes their labor of love. What does that exactly mean, a labor of love? Labor of love, and the definition as I dug into it a little bit further, was the idea of this, that it takes work to love people well. Why is that? Because we're naturally, let's be honest here since we're in church, we're naturally very selfish. We're natu naturally very self-centered. And so anything that has to do with putting others before ourselves has to only come from the Holy Spirit doing a work inside of us, transforming us, changing us. In my own human nature, I just want what's best for me, what I feel like doing. It's fun when you see examples of God working out some of those things in your own life. Maybe it's in your marriage. You're like, man, marriage is a wonderful uh, mirror, I would suggest, to your own selfishness. And really, it paints a picture of a lot of these deficits. But it's neat to see maybe some progression in that area, in that labor of love, as he describes here. I was thinking about that labor of love even evident within the, the local church. A lot of times the things that need to get done in the local church aren't necessarily things that are natural or you feel like doing. Remember a couple weeks back, we were at the end of the extravaganza and it's always the, uh, an interesting thing to see at the end after the dust is all settled, the ponies have all uh, been taken away, the camel's gone, the egg hunt is over, who's left still there to clean up, to finish up. It was so cool. It did my heart a lot of good because I saw George and Judy Carney who are newer to our church. They're there just walking around with a carrying tables, picking up trash, setting up things. I'm like, man, you guys are awesome. They're like, oh, this is the least that we could do. I was like, man, that's somebody that gets the whole idea of the labor of love. That's what Paul is celebrating with this early church. Basically here he continues in the pointing out or celebrating great things. Verse four, he says, for we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. Interesting verse there, verses there to kind of break down. He says, uh, you got, got to ask, how does he know that they were chosen by God? What I would suggest is it's directly linked to what was just talked about because there was evidence of transformation in their lives. In the same way that it had changed Paul's lives, he, Paul's life, he's seeing that in them. He's seeing that he showed up there not only in word, 
but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with, cool, with full conviction. They saw what kind of men that they proved to be. In other words, their actions aligned with their words. When you're wondering what is the thing that allows somebody to, to see that, no, really, it's, it's taken root. You really have embraced Jesus Christ is when there's that connection, when there's that, that uh, converge of actions and words. But here's the important thing to understand is you can't separate the two. I would suggest that in present day, there's kind of this trend in kind of the postmodern culture to say, you know what? We just want to do good deeds and people will recognize Jesus from that without any kind of a verbal message. I would say that's a dangerous way of thinking. You can't separate the two. You always have to have the actions attached to the words. When, it, when he says to them, he says, because of the, our gospel came to you not only in words, doesn't mean that it didn't involve words. It still requires for us as messengers to speak up. We're not the message. Otherwise, that can become quite the ego thing. If somebody watches my life long enough, they're most likely going to be disappointed. I'm not the message. I'm a messenger. But there should be a consistency between the two, between the message and the messages that we're the message that we're sharing is that we are broken, fallen people, and God's in the process of changing us transforming us, making us more like himself. We haven't arrived. We're not the finished product. He's the one that's doing the work. He should be celebrated, not our actions. They need to be married though to confirm that we are actually in Christ. So he's celebrating that, the words and actions aligning. Verse six kind of shows where that come from, came from. He says, and you became imitators of us, and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You kind of sense in this, the kind of a entire letter, you kind of sense like a, a, a parent-child relationship. There's kind of this, this tenderness that he's, he's speaking with. And it's interesting how often in this book, he uses the word imitators. This idea of, of imitation. Anybody that's uh, uh, been a parent for any length of time realizes what a big deal that is. That your kids are watching everything you do. And whether you realize it or not, they're picking up on the good and the bad. Now, when he says to them to be imitators of us, some of us might read that and be like, man, that's kind of a, sounds a, a, a little bit arrogant and maybe a little bit egotistical to be a, a, a exam or be a imitator of me. But if you actually break that down and think about it, really every single one of us is an example in someone's life. And we're either one of two things. We're either a good example to follow or we're an example to avoid. In this situation, Paul, because he's operating in the spirit, full of conviction, full of power that we just read about a second ago, he's saying that is an example that I'm okay with you following. Then they had been following that. They had really, if you think for us present day, we need to have senior saints, those that are a little bit further along in their walks with Christ that are really setting the standard for the rest of us. Think about in our local church here in Agora, Agora Bible Fellowship. Isn't that a, a beautiful picture when we have, I, I, I walk around sometimes on a Tuesday night and see some of the uh, senior adults that are still ministering back to the, the kids in Awana and saying, man, look at that example that's being set. Look at that example that's being set. That's the way God intended it to be. This isn't one of those do what I say, not what I do kind of a things. This is something that we're intended to model. So he's celebrating that. He's also pointing out something that's an extremely challenging thing to do. He says, receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, they in the middle of tons of opposition, affliction, hardship, they received the word of God with what? Joy. 
Joy is a tricky thing because a lot of times we associate that or connect that word with happiness and they're completely different. Happiness is attached to our circumstances. Joy is supernatural. It's a gift from God. It's something that doesn't depend on circumstances going great. I had someone asking me about uh, the greeting that I give each week in my email. I find myself repeating some of the same things and I, I don't know why I do that. I say, people joke about some of the things I always say in my messages as well, but you get kind of stuck in some of those ruts. It caused me to think about what I'm saying each week because I typically say, if you see that Saturday email, I typically say, I pray you're having a fantastic weekend. I was thinking about that as it relates to some people's circumstances right now on the other side of COVID and some of the mess that that's caused in their lives relationally, some of the uh, isolation that it's caused, some of the financial hurt. You're like, man, how is it possible for somebody to have a fantastic week? I would say the only thing that makes that possible is the joy of Jesus Christ that supersedes our circumstances, that keeps your eyes on what's to come, not just on what we're in the middle of now. He was celebrating that with this, with this audience. He says something nice about them as well. He says, they became an example to all the believers in Macedonia, Macedonia and Achaia. Kind of cool to think of this church, one church having the uh, potential or ability to influence other churches, other churches and other groups of believers looking in and being like, man, there's something different about this group. And I would suggest what made them different was because they were actually following Paul's example. A lot of times it starts with the leadership. How did Paul do with this whole idea of joy in the midst of trialing, uh, in the midst of trial? And I'll tell you the entire, entire account of Paul's life is that. Doing a little reading this week, a little research and saw on the life of Paul where this happened as far as the progression of things in his second missionary journey. Did you know that him arriving in Thessalonica was just after being in Philippi? In Philippi, the city in which he was prior to this, uh, just a short time before arriving there, he was actually, before he was left the city, he was beaten with rods and imprisoned wrongfully. At the end, they finally admitted because he was a Roman citizen, they apologized for it, but it didn't change the fact that his back must have been in shreds. And if you look at this on a map, this next trip, he goes all the way from Philippi to Thessalonica. He imagined him showing up in the synagogue, pointing them to Jesus Christ with a back that's still completely torn up destroyed because he had suffered for the name of Jesus Christ, but he didn't allow that to rob his joy. And so now this group of people isn't allowing their circumstances to rob their joy as well. The example that we have the ability to set for others in our trials can be such a beautiful and powerful thing. We'll continue in verse eight. Two more things, a couple verses left. Two more things that are celebrated here. It says, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Pretty awesome testimony that Paul is saying, basically, he's saying your testimony, your word, your sounding off of the word of God is going not just to the local cities, but everywhere they show up. Paul's like, I don't even have a job to do because you've done such a fantastic job of, of ministering the gospel to the people you encounter. And for that to be said of us as a church, I love that picture of, it says, sounded forth. Basically here in the original language that was intended, sounded forth is the idea of the sound of a clap of thunder. It was so loud, it couldn't help but being heard. Or the roar of fans cheering in a stadium or the sound of a trumpet. That's what he describes their message or extension of the gospel message to those around him. Now I think about us and our little community. I've loved, I'll be honest with you, this stretch that we've been outdoors in our courtyard because really every single Sunday morning, I believe that our surrounding community can't help 
but hear us, right? They have a hard time ignoring us. I was talking to one of our neighbors who loves the Lord. Her name's Joanne, and she was saying, yeah, a lot of Sunday mornings, I'll just sit in my backyard and listen to the, the whole service, listen to your sermon, the whole deal. I was like, man, that's awesome to think. I was thinking about that as sounding off. But I think there's a little bit more to it than that. A lot of times what's more often true isn't necessarily how loud our witness is, it's how consistent our witness is. So the, any, in, any interactions that we have, I would love for it to be said of us as a church community and as myself personally, if anybody spent any degree of time with me, they were going to hear about Jesus Christ. For us to be able to say that, man, if, if, if we're with a business partner long enough, they're definitely gonna know about Jesus Christ. If we have a client long enough, they're definitely gonna hear about that. If we have a, a, a coworker, if we have somebody that we spend time with at the gym, they will hear about Jesus Christ. That is what I think is a better description of what he's celebrating. So they couldn't go anywhere in this, the area surrounding them without people all, having already heard. I would love that to be the case. Imagine, just picture this. If this church, this little church in Old Agora, man, if you encountered somebody new and you're like, yeah, I'm at this church in Agora. Oh yeah, I was talking to somebody the other day that was telling me about Jesus Christ and how he had transformed their life. And that's where they come to, to celebrate him and worship him. Man, can you imagine if we had that same kind of ripple effect? I've been trying my hardest to, to live this out. I had an opportunity with my friend the other day to go and he did a test drive of a car. And so I got left uh, kind of waiting at this, this person's house with their teenage son that ha who happened to be in college, struck up a conversation with him and just had probably about 20 minutes to chat. And he was telling me about, he's in school taking a, actually studying philosophy. And he's like, yeah, dear, have you ever done any philosophy? I was like, yeah, I actually had some philosophy classes back in college. And they said, well, what, what, who do you lean towards? And I said, you know, to be honest with you, the philosophy I, I lean towards more directed by the Bible. So I said, I said, really what I cling to. And I went into the gospel message with this kid. And it was interesting at the end of the conversation, he's like, that sounds like a pretty good philosophy. <laughs> I was like, well, there you go. You never know what's gonna happen with God's word going out. And I, I don't say that to pat myself on the back because I can tell you a lot more stories of missed opportunities, but I would love to be a church community that we're known for sounding out the gospel message wherever God has placed us. Paul celebrated that with this young church. We'll conclude with the last two verses, verse nine and 10. It says, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Beautiful picture. So he's saying, for they themselves report. In other words, the, the, the people from this church are, are reporting back that the reception that they gave of Paul and how they embraced the living God. And what does it say? Some things that he points to. He says, they turned from their idols, serving the true God and waiting for the son's return. In that day and age, it's the idol wasn't a figurative thing for a lot of people. Nowadays, when we talk about it, we talk about things that are a less tangible. Back then, they would have literally carved idols, whether out of stone or wood, that they worshipped and bowed to and prayed to. Picked images that reflected some of the false gods in the uh, Greek mythology. And so that day and age, they had literal idols to turn to. I would propose for us, probably the most prevalent god that we have to turn from is the God of self. The God of self. I already alluded to that earlier. I think that's the biggest competing God there is present day. Me, me, me. Turning from that. A turn is, is, a, is a challenging thing. That's to leave that God behind. Imagine if you're driving out to Simi Valley and somebody in your directions all of a sudden said, no, you need to head the opposite direction. You need to be heading to Calabasas. There's no way to get there unless you literally get off the exit, turn your car going the other direction and start heading back towards the 101. Basically here, the picture is the same. He says they, they left, they, they turned to the living God from their idols. 
That's the same picture of what we're called to be. If we're set apart, if we're different, if we're to be uh, going against the current, there's the intention of us to leave behind old idols. How do you do that? How do you do that? It doesn't come easy. I would say that a big piece of that is seeking the Lord for help. Man, it's not me trying harder. Lord, point out, identify, bring to mind whenever I'm elevating self to an unhealthy place. And if you pray that prayer consistently, I'm confident he'll give little reminders and nudges throughout the day. The other tangible thing you can do in the battle against the self-God is to enlist the help of somebody else. This is a dangerous thing to do. What if you, those who are married, asked your spouse, hey, whenever it seems like I'm being a bit too selfish, call that out on me. How do you think that would go in your marriage? <laughs> They'd have lots of material, at least in my marriage, things to point out. What if we did that in our friendships? What if we went an all-out war against self? Man, what God could do in our community would be a, a powerful and amazing thing. So he celebrates their turn from that and what they're waiting on. It says, waiting and to wait for his son from heaven. So they've turned from their idols and now they're just waiting with anticipation of Jesus Christ's return. We've talked about this quite often in the past year, how many signs are pointing to the return of Jesus Christ. And it could be any moment I suggest now. It could be any time. I joked about it a number of weeks back saying, it could be now. How about now? We don't know when it's going to be, but man, we are getting closer and closer. And you don't have to look very far in our current culture and world happenings to see the signs of the times pointing towards that. We should be living with anticipation. Taste anticipation. John Calvin says, for unless we are stirred up to the hope of eternal life, the world will quickly draw us to itself. In other words, unless we're stirred by what's to come, man, we're going to just keep on getting tugged back to the same old appeals of the world. I was reading this uh, week, something that was interesting politically. Back when Jimmy Carter was president, I don't know if, who here is around with Jimmy Carter as president, but when he was president, he did something interesting. I thought it was uh, unique. He would, on occasion, I was reading this, he would reach out to just an average Joe, an average American, and ask them if he could have dinner with them and spend the night at their house. Can you imagine that? He said he wanted to stay connected with the people. So imagine getting the call from the White House. Hey, just wondering if you're free tonight. I would say there'd be some pretty extreme trying to get things in order and make sure things are in place for the president's arrival. Now would be, maybe be making sure you had a life alert button. But either way, the idea is this. You'd want, you would make sure your house was pristine. You would make sure it was in perfect order, similar for us. That should constantly be on our mind that the Lord's return could be any moment. The one who's saving us, the one who has saved us, the one who's transforming us, the one that's keeping us, what does it say in the text? From the wrath that is to come. And I'll tell you what, that's not a popular topic these days, talking about the wrath that is to come, but you spend any amount of time in the book of Revelation and you see that things get pretty hairy here on earth and get even worse on the other side of this life if you don't have Jesus Christ. These things should compel us in our conversations, our interactions, and the uh, urgency in which we spend our days. Well, my hope is reading through this, some of these things are a, a glimpse of encouragement for us. Things that I would say as a church, man, we're, we're doing really well with some of these things. Turning from idols, chasing after the Lord, having an intimate relationship with him. And here's the thing for us is that, man, I'll tell you what we have on the other side of this is going to be so amazing. It'll make any of the trials worth it. That's what allows us to sustain joy, even in a season as trying as this past year. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this passage and these words of encouragement to this church of young believers. 
people that didn't have the foundation in many years of following you, but had the zeal and passion that the Holy Spirit can bring in one's life. I pray that that would occur for us. Maybe some of us where our faith has grown dull, that there'd be new energy, that you'd breathe new life and passion into us, even in this season. Uh, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you for the source of help that you've provided in the spirit. We thank you for this church, that we can be a community that cheers and nudges each other towards holiness. We praise you for all of that, that you've left us with. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Were creation suddenly articulate With a thousand tongues to lift one cry Then from north to south and east to west We'd hear Christ be Singing, my song will be 
All right, church. Well, thanks so much for being a part of this online service. I did want to give you uh, one update before we uh, close here today. I wanted to point towards what's coming on the calendar. Some people have been asking us, when are we resuming to services inside in our worship center? And we've actually picked a date, Lord willing. We're actually looking at uh, Mother's Day, which is May the 9th as our return into the worship center. We'll still be uh, spread out a bit here with uh, seats separated, but looking forward to that. We'll still, like last summer, have three different options, whether you're meeting in the worship center, outside, in the courtyard, or in the well, based on your preference. Excited for that. Anyway, God bless you. Any way we can serve you this week, always feel free to reach out. Have an amazing day.